Good morning. Good morning. My name is Madeline Everson, and I'm in fourth grade and in the children's ministry here at FPC. I'm grateful for the privilege of reading scripture here this morning. As we continue our sermon series in Luke today, we will dive into Jesus' teachings on radical love and mercy and how those who follow Jesus are to imitate the love of Jesus Christ. I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36, and follow along as I read the passage out loud. Hear the word of the Lord. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that for you? For, to you? for even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to get the back, back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Now please join me in the call and response printed on the screens. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Thank you. Madeline, a round of applause. The coolest part about Madeline is that she could have done that whole thing in Spanish because she's like practically fluent. So thank you, Madeline, for reading. If any kids in here ever want to serve in that capacity in reading and scripture, we always are looking for more. So thank you, Madeline. Um, good morning. Welcome. I know you've already been greeted, but I love to say hello and see all of you here today. For those who don't know me, my name is Becky Pritchard. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Grateful to be leading today. Um, and they assigned me a tough passage. So let's get to it. Um, if you have just heard what Madeline has said, and if you're looking in your own Bibles, I invite you to keep them open if you have them. If your Bible is like mine, the title of this section of Scripture is Love Your Enemies. So skip to the next uh, verse. Oh, nope, not judging others either. Let's go all the way to 43, the tree of fruit. That's a better one. No, 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 we're not going to skip this passage. Really, truly, this is a passage that when we read Scripture, illuminates our hearts to what God is doing in our lives. This is a tough passage, one that is going to challenge us a little bit. One that might make you feel uncomfortable. One that might feel like your toes are being stepped on. You may feel yourself pushing back on this passage of Scripture saying, no, not me, couldn't be. Or you might be saying, ah, it hurts to hear things like this because this is really hard for me in my life. Don't resist the spirit in this word, the spirit in this room, leading and guiding us closest, closer to Jesus Christ. Even though this may be a tough passage to hear and to read and to live out, Jesus is calling us. So let's turn to him and listen. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Let us pray. May the words of my mouth 
and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if you haven't run out of here with that um, preamble warning to the passage ahead, let's dig right in. We see in chapter 6 of Luke that Jesus is teaching radically to his disciples, to the people who are following him. And he launches into this powerful and convicting teaching. Starting right in verse 27, he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Okay, we could spend the entire next hour and a half. Don't worry, we won't spend an hour and a half. But on that one verse, right, it's packed with instruction from Jesus about our relationships interpersonally with one another. If you've grown up in the church, you may have heard this passage all of your life, and you're like, yeah, yeah, easy, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Sure, that sounds great. But let's, I'm going to read it again, let's put on fresh ears. Let's put on ears like we have never heard this before in our lives. And maybe for you that's true. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing this passage. So you're one step ahead of the rest of us. But let us put on fresh ears and hear what the Lord is saying in this, in this verse. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. There's some big words in there, some pretty intense language. We hear the words enemies, hate, curse, abuse. Stuff we don't like to talk about or engage with. Stuff that we often avoid because these words, they carry pain. They carry negativity. We like to avoid these subjects. We weren't allowed to say hate growing up. I very, 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 very much dislike something. But we can't say hate, right? And here we are, enemies, hate, curse, abuse. Often words like these can be triggering. They lead us to get a pit in our stomachs. And we go, oh, oh, oh. Or I do. I don't know about you. But we kind of get that feeling of negativity. But then we also... We also hear the words love, good, bless, and pray. These words bringing a different sense. You might have already felt your body relax a little bit. A positive vibe, if you will. More peaceful, happy, positive reminders of the one who is teaching these words. Love, good, bless, pray. Jesus is not beating around the bush. He gets right to it in this first line of verse 27. So let's talk a minute about enemies. Jesus says to love your enemies. Jesus is talking about the human enemies in our lives. First of all, none of us really wants enemies. None of us set out to make enemies with people in our lives. Typically, we like to be liked. We want to meet people and have them like us, and we feel good when we make a good connection. We've got things in common, and we have friends, and it's wonderful. In fact, so much so that a lot of us live our lives as people pleasers, trying to do anything we can to lay down for that so that people will like us, do what they want us to do, or act like they want us to act, dress like they want us to dress. We're so interested in appeasing people so that we don't make enemies, right? We want to get along, have good relationships, and we don't want to be in conflict with people. 
But there's this little thing called sin, right? There's this thing called sin that when we get in relationships with people, somewhere along the way, that brokenness creeps in and we encounter conflict and strife and anger and jealousy, resentment and bitterness, fear and hatred, and on and on and on. And although we didn't set out to have those kinds of feelings with people, it happens. Someday we wake up all of a sudden and realize that we have enemies, that we look to people that are different from us and that hold different views from us in a hateful way. Sometimes enemies can be very, very personal. Maybe you had a bad relationship in high school with a significant other and it ended poorly and you consider them kind of like the enemy, right? Or a conflict grows so big in relationship you can't recover from it and suddenly you are an enemy. Or maybe your neighbor across the streets put up a, puts up a political sign that offends you, and depending on the political climate of the day and where we are in the election cycle, suddenly you view them as an enemy, someone on the opposite side of you. Enemies can also be corporate. For example, I'm an Oklahoma Sooner living in Texas. My team is often the enemy. <laughs> Not this season, but eventually, again, we will be the enemy. So that's kind of more of a corporate enemy. But in real life, like war, for instance, we have enemies on the other side. You're fighting against them to win for the justice of your people, and it's a righteous justice that you're fighting for because the oppression and the abuse coming from the other side is so evil that you can't imagine putting into practice the words of Jesus. Love your enemies. We read about enemies all throughout Scripture. If you look all throughout the Old Testament, we see the enemies of God, enemies of God's chosen people from the very beginning. Think about the Israelites in slavery in Egypt being abused, being hated, being used as slaves, and God fighting for them against their enemies. How do we love those enemies? We see the enemies of God. We see David and other psalmists crying out all throughout the psalms. If you say psalms and enemies and put that into your Google search, you will find hundreds of verses about enemies. David crying out, free me from my enemies, from the persecution that I experience. How are we supposed to love our enemies? We see, in, we see the enemy of, of, uh, of Satan, and that when Christ returns for the redemption of the world, which is the promise of God, that all the enemies will be under his feet. So we have a promise. We have a promise that in Jesus' teaching now, we have a promise for the future. We have a promise that the enemies ultimately will be defeated. So today... We can trust in that promise, trusting that we can love our enemies because God is in charge and Jesus will win. So we have these enemies in our lives. And then shockingly, this is the worst one, you guys, in scripture, Romans 5, 8 through 10, you aren't going to believe this, that we, we, you and me, we, sinners, are the enemies of God. Ooh. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And then going on in verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so much more will we be reconciled to life. We do not like to think of ourselves as the enemy. It's always somebody else. We're the victim, and everybody else is the enemy. We're the one that is abused and hated, you know, because we're standing up for what we believe or we're fighting for what we want. We don't want to be the enemy, especially an enemy of God the Father and Christ the Son. But friends, do not despair. Do not despair because this is not the end of the story that we are the enemies. As we heard in, the, in, in chapter 5 of Romans, that while we were still sinners, guess what? We didn't have to become non-sinners for Christ to die for us. We didn't have to start doing it perfectly so that we might be saved. But God sent his son to die for us so that we might be free and live in a way that is covered in God's love through Christ for us his enemies. This is mercy. This is grace. It is undeserved. It is unearned. And it's what Jesus is teaching us to do here. Be merciful as my father is merciful. Love your enemies. When we really take a good look at ourselves in, a, in the mirror, and when we really drill down, taking away all the surface stuff that we like to think about ourselves, we're friendly, we're nice, we love to have friends, all those things, we probably have more enemies than we like to think. When we're truly honest, in the deep depths of our heart, there are more people that we hate than we would like to. That is our brokenness speaking. That is our sinfulness. We don't want to be the enemy, but often we are. But as followers of Christ, we are called to a life of transformation. We don't have to stay in that pit of hate. We don't have to stay angry and hateful towards people that we don't like. We don't want to admit that we are sinful people and that we have enemies in our lives, but we're called to something different. We've talked a lot in here about Jesus' upside-down kingdom that he calls us to. It's countercultural to what the world teaches us. It's even countercultural to, like, our innate original sin. Our natural response when someone is mean to us is to be like, ugh, and be either, like, mean back or go and hide or avoid the person forever or have, like, a you know, knock down, drag out, and punch them, or whatever it is, our initial natural inclination is to not like our enemies. Talk bad about them and want to hurt them. To divide and to hate rather than to love. But as Jesus' people, in this upside-down kingdom, we are called and we are taught and we are equipped by the Spirit to go against our natural sinful inclination to separate and to divide. We are called to live in a way that is loving, overflowing so much that we can't help but overflow onto those around us. Living out of mercy rather than out of spite. Relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to teach us how to do this. I cannot wake up in the morning and say, today, God, I'm going to do it all right. I'm going to love everyone the way that you have loved me. Because my sinfulness 
acts up, and I have to rely on the Spirit to work through me to do it when I don't even have words to do it. When I am scared and angry and full of rage, the Spirit has to do it. We practice, and we practice, and we practice, and we practice so that it becomes more natural. We have to fight our nature, our sinful nature, and engage with this upside-down kingdom. And this can be very challenging. We need one another to hold one another accountable, to have a friend in your life that can ask you, did you, did you forgive that person? Did you check yourself before you said those things about such and such and so and so? And we don't want to hear that. You know, it's like, oh, be my accountability partner, but don't say those things to me, right? But that is how we do it. We cannot do it alone. Another way that we do that is by watching Jesus. And you might say, yeah, but Jesus was perfect. He didn't have the sinful thing like you and I have. That's right. But he does exactly what he calls us to do. Jesus isn't saying, avoid your enemies so that you don't do something mean. Like, just stay away from them so then you won't be a mean person to them. He's not saying it's okay to hate your enemies as long as you say, bless your heart, at the end of talking bad about them. Um, he's also not saying ignore the people who abuse you because, you know, they'll eventually leave you alone. Or love your enemies by only refraining from doing horrible, hostile things to them. He's not saying be nice to your enemies because it's the nice Christian thing to do. Now, that one will get you. Everybody in here has the inclination at times to do the right thing because that's what Christians do. But what is Jesus teaching here? It's not just do this because I say so. It's do this because I have done it for you. It is do this because you were my enemy and I loved you so much that I came to this world and suffered and died on your behalf so that you might have freedom and salvation and life forever with me. Do this because I have done this for you. Love your enemies as I and my Father have loved you. Do good to those who hate you because I have done good to you. Bless enemies and pray for them. Go out of your way in extravagant love for them as I have done for you. Be merciful as your Father has been merciful. This is not just a rule to follow as Christians to be nice. This is not, by doing this, by loving our enemies and being nice to people that we don't like or that hate us or whatever it might be, it doesn't earn us our salvation. We don't win more in heaven by doing these things. Jesus already loves us. God has already sent his son to die for us. Victory has been won. And so as we live as followers of Christ, we are transformed to live differently. And the transformation hurts sometimes. It's not comfortable. It pushes us to live differently. And we have got to stand face to face with the times that we go, oh, I messed up again. God, forgive me. And guess what? God forgives you. The reward of living this way is not a pat on the back or an extra star on your shirt. The reward is a relationship with Jesus that is full that nothing can separate you from, that is honoring to God and shows other people around you who Jesus is. When we love our enemies, they see that's who Jesus is. God loves us already. So out of the overflow of God's sacrificial love for us, his enemies, he's calling to love our own enemies in a way that is so radical and extravagant that others around might take notice. 
and say, what it, why is she being so nice to that person? I know that they disagree. I know that they're not friends. I know that he's been so mean to her or she's been so mean to him, or whatever it might be. Why is she so loving? She must follow someone named Jesus. This is such a difficult thing to live this out. Jesus gives us some pointers here. He talks in verses 32 to 34. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Basically saying it's easy when you get the love back. It's like when you have little children and it's like that unconditional love. I was out of town all week. Coming home on Friday night, it was like my kids were like, you're the best mom ever. I love you so much. And it's like, yeah, love that. I can give love because I'm receiving like this love bomb on Friday night. It's the best. But when I come home and people hate me and I'm like, I'm so glad. And they're like, uh-uh. That's a little harder, right? He says, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. I'll give this so that you give me that. What do I get out of this? And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. We talk about this in our stewardship campaigns in the fall every year. We give out of the abundance of God's grace not to get something in return. We give to glorify God, not so that we can collect and enjoy what God, whatever we can get in return. Jesus illustrates that the easy road is to love the people who love you and to do good to those who do good to you and to lend to those who lend to you. They're all good things. But what Jesus is calling us to do is exactly what he did. When he was hit and abused and suffered on the cross, he turned the other cheek. When they stripped his clothes from him, he gave his tunic and his garment too. Doing good even to those who abused him. Sacrificing his life for people who hated them, him. This is the way of Jesus. He doesn't just teach us and walk off and leave us to our own to figure it out. He doesn't live in a way opposite of his teaching. No, in fact, he would not teach us to do anything that he himself has not done. We are not only called to listen and learn, but to watch Jesus and imitate him, to become more like him in his love and his mercy and his grace. Jesus is asking us to do something very difficult. Sometimes hard to be in the same room with someone that we don't like or someone that just makes our fingers clench, let alone do something good to them and not be nice to them and give them the shirt off of our backs. But what Jesus is asking his followers here to do is important because it is who Jesus is. We serve a God of abundant love, and he has shown that to each of us. We were once enemies of God, and yet Jesus still died for all of us. When we know and follow Jesus as our Savior, we're forgiven and freed to love others. When we're forgiven, we are freed from the pain and the anger and the fear and all the things that we're holding against somebody. When that is forgiven, we're released to love in a new way. Were his chosen children loved by him, given grace upon grace to come back to him even when we mess up? We have the opportunity today to experience this in real life. 
as a church family, we are called to come to this table to feast together on God's love and on his grace. He has sent a Holy Spirit to transform us and work in us to share that radical grace with others. You may be asking, how far does this go? How far am I supposed to love these enemies? What if they keep hitting me and hitting me and hitting me? And what if I keep, what if I die from this? Trusting that Jesus is in charge of our enemies. Trusting that in the end, all of the enemies will be under the foot of Jesus we can trust that God will use us in those moments. He will not ask us to go farther than he himself has gone. He has loved his enemies. He has set an example for us as people, and he has shown us the way. We have to wake up, pay attention to that natural response, that first thought that comes into our mind, and release it to Jesus asking for forgiveness and asking for him to show us a different way. Christ is calling us to trust him as he is the ultimate power over our enemies. Our job is to love them as Christ has loved us. There is a book um, called Changing Signs of Truth, and as we come to the table in a minute, this will really come face-to-face -face with us. A, a woman writes it called Crystal Downing. She writes about hospitality, not hospitality, but hospitality. Talking about Jesus as host and us as host to those whom we might not love. She writes here as Jesus as host in this way. Jesus, in other words, made salvation possible by taking on himself the mul multiple signs of host, generating hostility. See the root word there, host. He was taken hostage, host, and sacrificed, which in Greek, hostia, through cru though crucified as an enemy, Jesus became the host of salvation, inviting each one of us to be a guest at his table where he is lifted up at host. So today we have the opportunity to respond to God's word, the word that we have read here in scripture today, in a real way. This is the table where Jesus is truly our host. He was the one that was sacrificed for us so that we might be free and no longer have to live as enemies. I'm going to invite the band to come forward, and as they do, I want you to spend just a quick moment thinking about where it is in your life that God is calling you to respond to this passage. You might have that one person's name at the front of your mind, ready to say, ooh, God, I'm not sure I'm ready to say yes to loving my enemy. You might feel like you're the enemy to somebody else. Or you might have been living in a way that gathers a team around you to say, yeah, let's be against those types of people. But what is God calling you to do today? We come to the table every single month here at the church. We celebrate the fact that God so radically loves us that he sent his only son in the form of a human to live among us, to teach us, to heal us, to lead and to love everyone. We were his enemies, and yet he loves us and so much and has mercy on us so that we can come and feast on salvation, the grace that he gives us. If this is new for you today, if you've never heard this before, if you don't know who Jesus is, we invite you to talk to one of us at the end of the service. We'll have people up front praying. If you just want to ask questions or just have a prayer, you don't have to say anything except I just need prayer. But if you want to know what it is to follow Jesus, if you're feeling convicted to, call, to live a different way, come and talk to us. 
But for those who are followers of Christ, who have committed their lives to Jesus as Lord, you're invited to this table. Not because you earned it, not because you did anything, not because you loved as many enemies as you could, but because you are invited, because God loves you and he's reaching out for you. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us, setting us free from captivity and death and offering us new life forever. This is the joyful feast of the people of God. People come from east and west and north and south to celebrate at this table together. People all across the world who believe and love Jesus, who follow after them with their hearts, are feasting on his grace. Here in a moment, I'm going to pray. And we're going to consecrate these elements. We're going to give you the opportunity to lay at his feet whatever is holding you back from Jesus. We prayed a great prayer of confession earlier. You may have already done so, but if you haven't, Maybe it's just saying that person's name and asking God to forgive you for the way that you've thought of them, the, the way that you've treated them, the way that you've acted towards them. You are not condemned. You are forgiven. And as forgiven people, we come together as a family to celebrate his great love for us. According to Luke, at the end of his gospel, when our risen Lord served as host... While at table with his disciples, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it, and he gave thanks. He gave it to them. It was then that their eyes were open and they recognized the risen Lord. Jesus is our host today for this, the Lord's table. He invites all those who follow him and who know him as Savior to share in this feast. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the joyful privilege of knowing you through Christ Jesus. We are unable to keep your commands. We are dead in our sins. But you sent Jesus Christ to restore our relationship with you. When Jesus was on earth, he shared our joys and our sorrows. He preached and he taught. He healed and befriended outcasts, tax collectors, and sinners. In obedience to you, he went to the cross to die in our place, that each one of us might be redeemed. We thank you that he is not dead. For we know that he is risen and rules the world as King of kings and Lord of lords. Today, Lord, we have been challenged by your word. We have been pushed in areas that are hard for us to talk about. We don't like to think about our enemies or hate or abuse. But as we hear these teachings from scripture, as we watch the example that Jesus, you have given us to love our enemies, we now lay these at your feet. Reveal to us where we have fallen short. Forgive us of our sins. We thank you, Lord, for washing us clean for making us new as your followers. It is by our love for one another, even our love for our enemies, that the world will know that we are your disciples. Lord, today as we remember your son Jesus, we break this bread and share this cup, proclaiming his death for the sins of the world and his resurrection to all peoples 
until he comes again. We pray that you would set aside these common elements of bread and juice as symbols of Jesus' body and blood. We ask that you would nourish and sustain us by your Holy Spirit as we take these gifts, that we might be bonded to one another, joined to Jesus Christ the Lord, receiving new life and remaining as his faithful followers until we feast with him in his glorious, joy-filled kingdom. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and together we say the prayer that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body given for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take each of you and do this to remember me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And friends, the promise is true. Jesus is coming again. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Come, for the table is ready. He loves you, and you are invited. We'll be taking communion in three different stations up here today. For those in the center sections, we will serve you as we go on the aisles. Wait until the ushers dismiss you to come to the, the side tables. Take your bread and your juice and go back to your seat and sit and wait. And when everyone has been served, we will take the elements together as a family of faith. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, for the table is ready.